Hello everyone, my name is Andy Summers and welcome to episode 5 of Reviving the Soul. In episode 3, I gave a brief introduction to the doctrine of the Imago Dei, but this is a teaching that has huge ramifications that I was unable to touch on in a 10 minute episode. So I decided to invite two of my good friends on to help me think through this passage and gain some more insight into the importance of being an image bearer of God and fulfilling the dominion mandate. So let's welcome Chris Hume uh, from Dover, Delaware, and Ryan Graber from Accident, Maryland. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. Glad to be here. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Just before we get started, I would like to kind of give um, the listeners just a, a little introduction uh, to your guys' lives. So uh, tell me a little bit, uh, Ryan, how you came to a saving knowledge of Christ. Um, I was blessed enough to uh, be raised by two Christians who definitely um, exhibited their faith in uh, the love they shared with their family and uh, to the church. And uh, I was raised in that. And uh, became a believer at a young age and was baptized and, of course, have, like uh, many young believers, come to make that faith more of their own as they, uh, as they have grown. And uh, glad to have done that with Andy a little <laughs> bit as we uh, met in college. And, um, yeah, has grown to be a good friend. So that's, uh, that's my background, primarily um, – from the Anabaptist stream of Christian thought. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would consider myself a, a Mennonite. I would definitely um, definitely differ in some um, ways that's been uh, lived out, and there's uh, definitely many streams um, in, this, in this current, but uh, yeah, that's where I am. Okay, and uh, what about your family? Can you tell us a little bit about them? Immediate family or extended or both? Uh, let's do both. Okay, so my uh, I was born in Iowa. My dad is a uh, lifelong carpenter as well as some dabbling in uh, glass blowing and um, electrical work and all-around handyman. My mom is from Western Maryland where I'm currently residing, and she is the daughter of a, of a pastor of 40 years, and uh, she is an RN. And uh, my family was a foster family growing up. I was there, <clears throat> the oldest, with two sisters. And then we also had uh, adopted three children into our family as well. I'm blessed to call them brothers and sister as well. And uh, also a foster family, so plenty of kids coming in and out. And it was a great experience. Um, my uh, wife, her name is Labriska, and uh, we met at Bible College. We spent the first five years or so of our marriage in central Pennsylvania, and um, we have two children, the oldest being Athen, who will be turning four in January, and then Alethea will be turning two in December, and um, yeah, that's that's a bit about me. So uh, where does the name like Athen and Alethea come from? Oh, uh, you know... Like you do, Athens, short for um, Athanasius, as in Athanasius of Alexandria, the uh, church father. Um, so I'm a, I'm a church history nerd a little bit, and uh, that's where we got that name. You're in good the, company. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Aletheia is a variation on the name Aletheia, or the, the word Aletheia, which is 
that word, which is um, the Greek word translated truth in the New Testament. Okay, very cool. Well, thank you, uh, Ryan. And Chris, can you tell me a little bit about how you came to a saving knowledge of Christ and a little bit about your family as well? Sure, yeah. I was born and raised in a nominal Christian home. Uh, My parents were raised Catholic, and they retained some of those roots growing up. So I had a a fairly shallow, basic understanding of the gospel of Christianity. And it wasn't until I was 20 years old, I was in community college, I started reading a book actually by a man by the name of Watchman Nee, and the book was entitled The Spiritual Man. And God used that book in conjunction with reading the Bible to open my eyes to really the the basic truth that I was a sinner and needed to be saved. Up until that point, I always considered myself a Christian, but I never really saw myself as in desperate need of salvation from my sin. And when the Lord opened my eyes to that truth that I was a wretch who needed to be saved from my own sin, from the wrath of God, um, my life completely changed. I was transformed, and that's been about over 11 years now, and my life has not been the same since, and I continue continue to grow and, and be changed by Christ. And a little bit about my family. So I married my wife, her name's Bess, back in 2009. We have four children now. Noel is eight. Uh, my son Leland is six. I have a daughter, Arwen, who's four. And our youngest son, Hudson, is two, and we actually have a fifth coming in April, so we're excited about that. Congrats. That's awesome. Thank you. Uh, we uh, now, Just to, for clarification, so Ryan and Chris have never met before. They've heard about each other, but they've never met. Um, I, work with Chris at, I work with Chris at Chick-fil-A, and like Ryan said earlier, I uh, met him. Actually, I met Ryan. I met you before college. We attend- at, the, at the college, but yes, it was, it was not for... Yeah, yeah, we high school, college. <laughs> we were th- we were there for a we were there for a youth camp, um, for and we would go every year and be counselors after we were done being campers, and we did that for a long time. Um, That's right. He he scared me quite a bit. As most extroverts scare introverts, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but then you went on a road trip with me across the United States, so that's cool. We did after a couple of years of college together. That's right. That's right. Um, and so my, my experiences with these two gentlemen is so like with Chris, we it was nice because Chris came to Chick Fil A to looking for a job, and it took I, I I think it was like one conversation, and you know he kind of alluded to like his theology a little bit. He said he's more of a 16, 1689 guy, and. I got really excited because I don't know anybody else in my community like that. Um, and so I was, cause everybody in my community, in my circle, um, uh, tends to be, um, either Mennonite or they're just non-denominational. I'm the church I attend is not a, uh, it's a non-denominational church. Um, so feeling a little alone in my theology, it was nice to come across Chris. Now Chris is a lot more intense than I am. But, uh, I don't know about that. I don't know. And, and Ryan was more intense than me for a while there too, but I don't, I don't know anymore. <laughs> intense. I like that. Yeah, you like that word. Okay. So, uh, uh, see, now I'm jealous because here I am talking to two guys who get to talk theology and eat chicken. Like that. Oh, right. Just, you know, part of your normal life. Right. For, oh, yeah. Let, let's. Oh, yeah. Ryan is a. Well, you, you have a veggie based diet, right? 
Yeah, let's just go with that. Okay. I'm not going to bore you with the details. <laughs> well, you're going to get to that later in Genesis, aren't you, Andy? Probably. We'll probably get there. Um, Noah, I'm sorry. I, I think it's going to be like Genesis 8 or 9 or something. Sorry. I digress. So um, the, the passage we're looking at is Genesis chapter 1. It, it's one that I did an episode on a, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to the end of the chapter because there is the creation of man but then there's also this dominion mandate that I think goes along with it and that's really what I really want to unpack with you guys so let me just read it read the text real quick and I'm reading from the ESV Um, it says this starting in verse 26 then God said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Now, before Ryan says anything, the point of this is not to talk about your your vegan, veggie-based <laughs> diet. Because God said, no more. Thank you for steak. <laughs> and last night, I had delicious bratwurst. It was awesome. So good. I'm literally enjoying a completely plant-based, whole food date ball right now. And if you've never had it, let me just say, it combines the best features of both dates and balls. <laughs> Okay, that is fantastic. Now to our point. It's just going to throw out that product. I can appreciate that. Um, So uh, I think each of you uh, are coming from a different perspective here, and I'm going to do my best to um, remain neutral for the most part and maybe show my cards later. Um, But I would would like to know from – because I, I'm more curious about the Anabaptist perspective, and then maybe Chris can kind of push back a little bit. Um, this is not a debate. This is a, a dialogue. Uh, but I, I think that you guys are going to come at this in, from two different perspectives, and that, that's what I'm excited about. Um, so can you kind of articulate, Ryan, can you articulate what your view of the Imago Dei is and how it does or does not correlate with the with the Dominion Mandate? Uh, sure. I'll give it my best shot. Honestly, Um, I probably have not, um, studied or am well, as well read in, um, the perspective with which Chris is going to come at this. I am probably don't have strong opposition to it. I'm, I, so I'll be honest, I'm probably going to be here asking a lot of questions to clarify exactly what your view is. Um. So let me just say, I don't have a lot of um, uh, a lot of a lot of stuff to say about the image of God as we read it here. I do think there are some things we can say about it, but unfortunately, it is um, it's been a source of debate in 
um, Christian theology for centuries now. I, I was trying to put some thoughts down about this, and here's what I've come up with. I really think the Imago Dei is kind of like the quantum mechanics of theology. So stick with hmm. me. So everyone agrees. It's like everyone agrees it's important to the fundamental fabric of our existence, but very few people can actually explain what it is. <laughs> hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of like quantum mechanics as I understand it. And and when I say that, I mean I don't. <laughs> okay. But uh, I, it's one of those things where everyone says yes and amen to what is on the very face of the passage. But when we try to draw implications from it, that's when there starts to be a little bit more debate. Um, the yeah, I, I guess I would always I would always have uh, looked at the image of God as referenced in Genesis one as simply what what the what the the image would have meant to the original readers, which is that it is a representation and a likeness. Um, many people have tried to suggest that that is because uh, we we share um, eternality with God, that uh, we share self-consciousness, the fact that we can reason abstractly and appreciate beauty, feel emotion, communicate, um, commit moral or immoral actions, all things that are unique to man and that separates us from the uh, rest of, of God's creatures. Um, man, I, I think from, I think everyone would agree that that's how that, that does reflect the image of God or it's ways in which we are all alike God. But, um, whether that's what is specifically, which one of those is specifically in mind or which few of those are more in mind with the author of this passage, I think is where we start to, to disagree. Um, so so let's let's summarize uh, for a second. So yeah, um, so you are, are you so you're essentially saying that because basically the image of God is just being a is simply being a representation, right? That's that's kind of the basics of what you believe. Uh, yeah, I would I would say that. Um, so so then my next question to to, to the follow up question to that so. If we, if we as image bearers of God, um, are reflecting Him, what, how, how do we apply that? How do we apply that to right now? And how do you think that the Israelites would have applied that when they first, when Moses first gave that to them? Well, let me first say that I think we should be careful when we talk about the image of God because even. And, and applying it or drawing implications from it. Because even James says that men generally, uh, not just believers, are made in the likeness of God. I think that's James 3, verse 9. And therefore, I, I want to point out that I do think there is a sense in which all men uh, exhibit the image of God, whether or not they are leaning into that, whether or not they are intentionally um, recognizing that they bear that image and that representation and living lives in accordance with godliness. Does that make sense? I think which, so. Now which that's, is, which is, which is why I think we must value, um, we must value human beings, even those who are, are, um, showing that they are anything but godly, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. That said, I do agree. There are impl- – we can um, – we can also choose to um, recognize what God has implanted in us and to live in accordance with that. Um, and and, and so, no, no. Sorry, I, I'm trying to put it in words. I'm honestly – like I said, I have not had time to um, you know, write it all out. But I do think there is a distinction between something that can be more or less um, – more or less obeyed in light of the image of God, and then an unchangeable part of us that is always reflects God. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. So, so you're you're saying so that that unchangeable part that always reflects God. That's that's our. I'm assuming that's our spiritual thing. You're not you're not saying that like we physically. We we phys- just to clarify for people who may not the things that we may take for granted that other people may not understand. You're not saying that being an image bearer of God is a physical reflection of God, correct? Well, exactly. God is spirit. He does not have weight or length or depth or right. height or physical body parts in the sense that we did. That is, uh, as long as we're not talking about the, uh, Christ in his in, in incarnated form. We do reflect him in, uh, in other aspects, uh, many of which I, I already listed to. So if you were if you were to exegete this passage of scripture in a sermon on Sunday morning, how what what kind of application would you bring? Um, well, I, one thing I thought of is I, I do think I would want to point out that it's unfortunate that the average Christian only thinks about the imago, only thinks about the image of God. It, the image of God is increasingly only mentioned when abortion comes up, and I do think that is. Absolutely, a, a, a right and good uh, implication mm-hmm. from the text that all human beings do reflect God in, in some way, and therefore must be valued as as human beings. But it has far more. I do think it has far more implications than "don't murder," if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think we should um, minimize it to just that, even though that that is a very important implication. Sure. Um, where I would go from there is yes, I, I would absolutely go to the co- look in the context and go um, to what is the uh, commands that immediately follow the image, where he blesses them and says, um, "Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it." And um, I, I think it not only I think it includes obeying God in in, um, in all of those instances, and I think. Um, in one sense, whether you are a believer or not, um, people can participate in that by, you know, taking advantage of God's common grace. Uh, but yeah. yes, as Christians, we have a greater responsibility. I completely agree. Okay, so how would you, so? Am I getting at what, what you what you want? I, I think I think so. Like? I think so. Okay. So um, the uh, so let's talk a little bit more about the dominion thing. I just want to take just a, just a couple minutes here. Cause I want Chris to talk about what he thinks on this. Um, so, so we got an idea of what you think on the Imago day, but then you, you briefly touched on it, but can you kind of talk more about that? Like, what does it look like to take dominion over the earth? Is, is that, is that something that is still, um, is that for all of us or is that only for the, for the first humans, Adam and Eve, or is that something that we're still supposed to be doing? And what does that look like now? Um, let me say here, I think this is where where um, 
my not opponent, but discussion partner here. <laughs> discussion <laughs> partner, I like that. How do you feel about that, Chris? We definitely have. Um, let me let me let me say it this way: uh, be more detailed in his application. And I don't think I can say this is what I don't mean by it until I I know what what he would say. But I I um, traditionally. I think the church has said, and I don't think it is a wrong conclusion to say that <clears throat> dominion here refers to both blessing and responsibility, because we see that not only is there this responsibility to procreate and to raise children um, in our likeness, as um, it's later Genesis says about um, Adam and, and Seth, I believe, um, but also to use what God has given us in his creation not only um, nature and and uh, the fruit of, of the field and the trees and, and that which we could responsibly use from animals and, and all of that but also um, using our intellect and our um, ability to relate with one another and to worship God it just, you know, going back to common grace, enjoying all that God has given us. Mm. So blessing and responsibility, I, I think, is, is uh, probably the traditional view. And to say much more than that from the passage, I think, um, might be a stretch unless, of course, informed with greater detail from another passage of Scripture. And so I'm completely willing to, to see what other people would like to, to would say also uh, correlates with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I it. Right, and I have found uh, I have found uh, one one particular camp, which is part of the reason why I wanted Chris to come here. Um, the 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 application of some of these Old Testament passages that the majority of evangelical Christians find incredibly different difficult to apply to themselves. Um, Chris's theological camp tends to be really good at application and incredibly consistent. So I'd like to kind of Chris. You for you to kind of give your your thoughts on what this is. So again, the the uh, the question is, um, you know, what what does it mean to be an image bearer of God, and how is that applied, and what does and and does that correlate or does it not correlate to the dominion mandate following that passage? Yeah. So I think when we look at this, there'll actually probably be a lot. I think that we would agree on, and uh, maybe some that we won't. I think you start at the foundation. You look at you have this passage the creation of, of man and the creation of woman. And it's really a teleological passage. It's telling us, in one sense, why God created man. And Ryan already touched on this when he mentioned that man is made to represent God. So God... Real quick, can you give a definition of teleological for my listeners? Well, it's um, to, for, for the why it was created. The purpose of, of creation um, is has to do with the purpose of something, why something's made. Okay. Um, so when we have a, um, a text telling us that God created man and then it gives us c- commands for what man is to do and it tells us that God made man in his image, it's telling us, it's giving us the purpose, one of the purposes for humanity. It's telling us why man was made. So, so that's what I mean by that, that word that this passage tells us why God created man. Now, it might not be the only reason. Certainly, I think we would say overall the ultimate reason is for his own glory that God created man. But we see here one of the main reasons that God created man was to 
represent himself. And Ryan touched on that. And so man is made to represent God. And that's why he's created in God's image. So when we look around and when we see other human beings, we have the opportunity now to the, to the degree that they will be abiding by God's word, and I'll touch on that, will, refl- will be the degree that they are truly representing him. But when we look at man, men and women, mankind, and I'm just using that term man to refer to both men and women, male and female, we are able to see something of God. And as we mentioned, it's not the physical representation. It is the, the spiritual, the moral and um, in the language of the confession, when you talk about being created in the image of God, there's usually three things that are referred to, knowledge, righteousness, and true holiness, that man is made in the image of God and is able to have a knowledge of God beyond what the other creatures are, is able to live righteously and, as a correlation, live unrighteously, whereas the animals are not able to have that distinction. There is mm-hmm. no unrighteous act by an animal. Um, and also true holiness, that man is able to be separate from sin and to to worship God. Now, we might get into this later with, with the angels, brings in a, a, a difficult uh, conundrum, one that, that I enjoy thinking about. We may not get into that today, but certainly the angels are on a different level than the other creatures. But as we focus on man, God made them to represent him. And so when you talk about having dominion, if I can go on to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, there's a lot much more we could say about that, but I think we're kind of on the same page with that as far as man create, God created man in his image to represent him um, on the earth. And so when God, when we move on to talk about dominion, you have to ask the question of what is dominion, what, is it, what does it mean? And, and when you actually look at, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but if you, you look at the Hebrew word and, and you, you dig into it a little bit, um, and you can do much more than I did, but the word has to do with with governing and controlling to build up or to tear down. It can go either way. And so with man, and this kind of goes with what Ryan was saying with the responsibility, that man is given by God dominion over the earth, and as a result, he can either advance um, the earth and, and bring about great blessing, or he can bring about curses. And the, the, the standard by which man is to do that is God's law. So when you look at this, and if man is to take dominion, you have to ask yourself, well, how is he to take dominion? Because if, you, if I just gave my, my children a, a command and said, hey, go, go and, and, you know, take care of the yard. Well, by what standard are they to do that? I mean, is that just cutting down all the trees and, and, and throwing things around? Or is it, there's going to be a standard that I say, hey, when I tell you to, to take dominion of our backyard, that means raking the leaves, cutting the grass, trimming the bushes, um, doing it the way that, that I have set forth. So when man is given dominion by God, there has to be a standard by which he is to follow. And so my position would be that that standard is, of course, God's law, and man is now responsible and gets a great privilege, but is responsible to have dominion and govern according to God's standard. And I think we can unpack that a little bit more but that's kind of a bit of an introduction. Yeah, and, that, and that's good. Uh, Ryan, did you have any questions? No, I, I completely on board. I agree. I think it does. <clears throat> there's a reason why Moses, <laughs> uh, after writing this passage, made sure that it was connected, um, connected to Torah, you know, to law, to teaching. Sure. So that there, there is that. Uh, explanation of what you mean right right so let, let, let's go ahead and unpack that law because there's going to be a lot of questions about 
uh, when, when we say God's law, Ryan, you know this, um, coming from a Anabaptist background, that's kind of a bad word. Um, <laughs> because that's Old Covenant. Yeah, that's Old Covenant. Um, and generally, Anabaptists are New Covenant theologians. Um, and so, let, let's let's unpack God's law. What, what do you mean? Are you talking like all, everything, like Exodus 20 and all, the rest? Or are you talking... Um, are you, are you, are you separating the law into three categories and, and or just well, talk yeah, about I'm not sure more. if we want to get too much into that on this discussion, because I think it will take us off topic. It's related of course, but w- with the amount of time, I think what we, if we want to focus on talking about taking dominion, um, I mean, to summarize, I could just say I'm referring to the moral law of God okay. and the, the reformed confessions, the 1689 Baptist confession, the Westminster Confession would have slight variations in their wording, but essentially would teach that God gave to Adam and Eve the moral law of God, which was then expressed in the Ten Commandments through Moses, mm-hmm. which has not changed. Now, of course, we can get into a, a great debate on that, which I'd be happy to do, but I think um, for the sake of this discussion, I'm content to say that the standard by which we are to take dominion is the moral law of God. Now, um, there's much more I think we can say to build up to that before we get to the point where we have to um, debate which you know which view on on the law is accurate. But I think uh, when you start with with this idea that uh, we would agree that murder is wrong, we would agree that adultery is wrong, we would agree that theft is wrong, we would agree that um, honoring your parents is right, we would agree that worshiping God is right and worshiping false gods and the creation is wrong. And the point I'm making is that when when the, the command to take dominion was given to, to a to righteous man, was given to Adam and Eve, right? It was given to Adam as the head, but also to Eve as his wife. And the command uh, to take dominion has not been rescinded with the fall. And so that might be, you know, a difference that, that some people would have that, well, that was just for Adam and Eve, as Andy mentioned. And my position would be, no, it, it's for mankind. It was given to righteous man, but when man fell into sin, the dominion mandate was not removed. And the reason, one of the reasons that we see it was not removed is because we see the disastrous results of unrighteous dominion taking. We see, if you look around, you see man's taking dominion still, but now they're not taking it according to God's standard. So man still has the the ability to take dominion, and therefore I would argue that he's still required to take dominion according to God's way. And so now, and I think we'll get into this maybe later, with with the second Adam, with Jesus Christ, it's a restoration of the dominion mandate to be carried out once again by righteous man. And I can get yeah. into that again, but I think before getting into the, you know, the, the debate on theonomy and new covenant, old covenant, um, I mean, we may have to if, if, if we disagree on the moral law of God, but if we can kind of just start with that um, as the standard by which mankind is to live, um, then I think we can talk a little bit more about this dominion mandate. Right, and that's what I was looking for. So I, was, I, was, I wanted to clarify that you're speaking specifically about um, the moral law because every time anybody in my community brings up law, they, they, they bring up, you know, the two strands of clothing and the mother's milk, not billing a good mother's milk. So, so like, yeah, yeah. So like, I just wanted to clarify for their sake. Um, uh, so again, so I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm hearing a lot of like good content, but what, but what I'm, what, what I'm looking for is, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. How am I applying this text 
to my life. Do either of you have any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, let me just say, I, I want to echo what Chris said, because um, I think we see um, everything God says here, 28 and 29. <clears throat> um, I, I think we see God reiterating it through Genesis, even. I mean, not only as Noah leaves the ark and he says, go, you know, get out of here. Don't stay in one place. Go make babies, um, harvest food, you know, go and, and, and be, be what I made you to be. But then also at the tower of Babel, when you see people using God's creation to build a monument, a monument to their own greatness and, uh, not spreading out over the earth, um, not taking dominion of it righteously, God, you know, completely throws a wrench in their plans. And um, I agree. I think you see a um, very real, but but also um, spiritual um, echo of that in the in, at Pentecost, where rather than languages being confused and everyone being spread mm-hmm. out uh, across the earth, uh, languages are made clear for the sake of the gospel and people are spread out across the earth. Um, so just one, I just wanted to say amen to what Chris said and to answer your question, Andy, I think, I think you, you know, like Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do to all to the glory of God. And, um, literally you are, you are honoring him. I think, and all that he is when, um, especially when you consciously, um, use what he has given you, um, to, as Paul says, work quietly with your hands, uh, maintaining peace with everyone as much as it is up to you and, um, caring for your family, um, bringing the fruit of the earth home to them, so to Mm -hmm. speak, um, in your case, maybe bacon, bring bacon home, not mine, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, that, that's one sense in which I would say you take dominion. Um, honestly, I don't think I would be a very, uh, traditionally Anabaptist perspective here just because, um, I have, um, migrated a, a bit between theological traditions so um, I don't guarantee you that that my perspective is going to be representative of Anabaptism. <laughs> right. You're like, I mean, I don't know anybody else except for maybe Brian, a- another friend of ours, um, who is Reformed and Anabaptist. And when I say Reformed, right. and I use the word Reformed loosely. <laughs> uh, you could, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, um... I would also say that some in, in some of the ways that I talk, you might hear some uh, right. some some Lutheranism. <laughs> so law and gospel. I, yeah, exactly. When you say law to a lot of people, a lot of Mennonites, law is a bad word. Um, I don't think most could articulate that. Right. Law, law. The law is the moral law of God. Right. It's good because it is God's, but that reveals his standards to us and yet gives us no ability to obey them. Right. All right. So let's bring it back. Um, so, or I'm sorry, did you have some? 
Yeah, we're we talking about application. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's, uh, I wanna, I'm going to bring up my word. Let's okay. bring this in. Um, so, uh, Ryan, the way the way you talked about applying this, um, I mean, you used what what Paul basically said. So, taking dominion and like applying the dominion mandate, uh, applying um, being an image bearer, uh, would be to take what God has given me and using it to glorify Him. Is that correct? Sure, sure. Is that is that what you were trying to say as far as how to apply this? Uh, yeah, it'd probably be more personal um, than, than, let me put it this way, the way I spoke of it was more personal. It's not that it doesn't have global or, or further reaching um, implications, uh, but I'm guessing Chris's view would probably... Um, touch more on that all right so i think that's a good segue (laughs) yeah so when you talk about application with any text really i mean you have the personal the personal level of application and then it expands from there and certainly you can start on either end i think i do want to mention one thing as far as application when you look at psalm 8 it's a reiteration of this or it's a confirmation i should say that psalm 8 verse 6 says you have given him and referring to to man that is made a little lower than the angels. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And so when we talk about the dominion mandate, one of the first uh, pieces of application would be that it is good for man to be on the earth. It is good for man to take dominion, to cultivate resources, and to manage them. And some of, I don't know if they'd be called environmentalists, or, or some groups would almost see man as the the problem on earth, that man is the reason why we have climate change, that man is the reason we have all these things happening on the earth, and, and man is the problem. And the scripture does not give us that picture. Now, the problem is unrighteous man, but the problem is not man. So when we talk about um, taking dominion and applying God's word and God's law to all of the earth, um, we we have to ask the question, well, how can that be done after the fall? And so God gave this dominion to Adam and Eve. Adam fell, Adam and Eve fell into sin. God again gives this task to Israel to, to represent him on earth, to take dominion on earth and represent him before all the nations. And to a degree they do that, but then they fail. And then finally... God sends Jesus Christ to as the second Adam who perfectly fulfills the law. And a lot of preachers will talk about how Christ is the second Adam and how he fulfilled what Adam did not. But they won't talk about the dominion mandate and how now, because Jesus Christ fulfilled what Adam did not, what are the ramifications for the church as it relates to the dominion mandate? And so now the church is given the responsibility. When you look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And so now the dominion mandate, in a very specific and powerful way, I would add, because we have Jesus Christ with us always to the end of the age as believers to apply this. We have his authority. The dominion mandate is given almost again in a very uh, special way to the church as righteous men and women to take dominion of the earth. Uh, through the gospel, and it's, of course, the gospel that then gives us the ability to obey God's law, which is the standard of which we are to take <clears throat> dominion. So when you, when you talk about, then, practical application, I think 
you know, the first thing you have to start with is, again, what's the standard that we are to take dominion with? And uh, William Einwechter, who's a pastor up in Pennsylvania, um, kind of helped me with this. And, and again, the dominion mandate, he says, it's not primarily agricultural, technological, but it's ethical. The dominion mandate is primarily ethical. Mm. It's primarily relates to, to moral actions, and therefore there must be a standard, and that standard is God's law word. So man has to rule on earth as a representative of God applying God's law. So when you, when you want to take it down to the very practical level, and I'm just kind of summarizing and going through this pretty quickly, but you want to take it down to, to you know, the nuts and bolts of a, a stay-at-home mom or a father or a single person, whatever it is, you start with, with God's law word. What does God command from you? What are God's requirements for you in your personal life? And how are you going to apply them in your life? And so I can give you, you know, a quick, uh, maybe just, this is just a general application. Again, like Ryan said, it's going to be very personal the more we get into it. But you look at unrighteous man, and you look at this, this command, this, this uh, command to be fruitful and multiply and take dominion. And I think that still applies as well. But you look at what, um, what unrighteous man does. They seek to, to further their own, their own kingdom, if you will. You have women who... Dis, almost disdain, and, and I'm not putting the finger on women here, it's also men who encourage that sort of thing, but who disdain the idea of, of being a mother and, and raising up children to honor God and would rather go out and seek their own career and their own um, prosperity at the expense of God's law word, which tells women to raise children and tells us to be fruitful and multiply. And the same charge could be laid on men who instead of laboring to to love their wives and raise up their children according to God's law, which tells us to, to not commit adultery. And of course, there's a ton of application from that and, and to, to, to raise up your children in the Lord. Instead of doing that, they focus on their career as simply a means to an end to further themselves. So you take dominion in your life by taking God's law, applying it, and of course, there's a ton of, of other levels of application to that, and putting it into practice and, and able to fulfill this mandate of being fruitful and multiplying both physically and spiritually. So I think there's a lot more there, but that's certainly a start. Mm. Uh, Ryan, do you have any questions about that? No, I completely agree in, insofar as uh, as you went there. I think <clears throat> there is maybe, I think my one quibble I might have is <clears throat> in, I really like um, how you how you quoted um, the pastor you mentioned who said, you know, it's not primarily agricultural or industrial or economic. It's, it's primarily uh, ethical. I, I would want to push back on that just a bit because I think you can have um, a, 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 let me put it this way, a apparently ethical person who uh, is, is has no desire to glorify God. In in other words, I think I would choose the word spiritual. There, I that is, um, and maybe this is where where we part ways on on this topic. But I, I think that um, although yes, unbelievers definitely can exhibit the image of God in that there's always a residual amount. Uh, it's kind of God's grace to us, you know, with their. God's gift of the conscience and uh, and other internal features of, of being a human, there are, you often see mankind participating in efforts that are good and right, despite the fact that they are doing them for completely um, non-Christian reasons. And so 
if, if I think we, if we're not talking about the part of the image of God that is inherent in all of us, whether we choose to participate in it or whether we are consciously choosing to exhibit that or not, um, I, I, what I, what I'm talking about here is that intentional, uh, when it comes to that intentional, um, choosing to exhibit the exhibit the image of God. I think we cannot just strive for ethical behavior, but also internal submission uh, towards God through repentance, faith, and which will then, of course, exhibit good works. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I just don't want the gospel um, to be forgotten, and I'm not suggesting that uh, that you were. Right. Yeah, certainly. Um, and if I had more time, I could unpack that a little bit more. But I think the the, the point I'm trying to make is that um, the when I talk about this being an ethical mandate, um, when we talk about the law of God, and again, I think we'll just kind of have to 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 summarize it here. But Jesus said, you know, the 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 law of God is summarized as love God and love your neighbor. And of course, I'm paraphrasing paraphrasing, but. But the law can be summarized as love God and love your neighbor. And of course, when you look at the Ten Commandments, um, the first table of the law is uh, related to our duty towards God, and the second table is related towards uh, our duty towards our fellow man. So, in in my view, you cannot there can be there is no separation between ethical and spiritual. You either are abiding by the law of God, which is to love God and love your neighbor or you are not. And so there is no person, there's no category of people in my mind, or there's someone out here who is following God's law, but yet does not love God, because the law is summarized as loving God, and then loving your neighbor. So you have unrighteous man who is created in the image of God, and I believe maintains that image, certainly after the fall, and even maintains the responsibility to take dominion. Because I believe every man, every man, woman, and child, whether they are Christian or not, is responsible to obey God's law because he is their creator. So every person out there, I believe the dominion mandate applies to them. And now the question is, are they going to obey the dominion mandate given to them by their creator? Which, if I had to summarize the dominion mandate, again, I could summarize it and very simplistically as love God and love your neighbor. Now I can give a ton of application for that as it relates to economics, agricultural, business, law, and you know that I would love to do that. But that's the summary of it. Love God, love your neighbor. Now, the question, of course, is who is going to be able to do that? Yes, then we're bringing in the wonderful news of Jesus mm-hmm. Christ, the good news of the gospel, that only those who have been forgiven by God, who have the Spirit of God in them, whose sins are forgiven by the blood of Christ, are going to be able to love God and love their neighbor. But the dominion mandate applies to every single person um, because it's, it's why we're put on this earth. You know, the angels... And again, we don't have time to get into this. The angels certainly have moral ability. They're certainly created at a higher level. And in fact, um, you know, it says that, that we were created just below the angels as man. So the angels, in one sense, are, are a higher being than us. But yet, they don't have the ability, I would say, to take dominion of the earth. They don't have the ability to reproduce, whether it's physically or spiritually, I would say. And so we have a very special responsibility that, um, you know, are we going to live out our lives for the reason we were put here? to represent God and take dominion, or are we going to live here to take dominion for ourselves? And so I think that's really what we see in the world. We see non-believers taking dominion for themselves, and then we see believers who, by the grace of God, are taking dominion for Christ and, mm. and his kingdom. Not perfectly, of course, but but striving towards that end. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was getting at, that 
um, when what what I was uh, simply had in mind is actually a conversation recently with a um, a, a sister in Christ who attends my church who um, has spent probably the last twenty years in, in as a as a missionary in uh, a South American country who who. It was interesting to me. She described as return, she returned back to to the United States recently and said, sort of in passing, that we live in a in a fairly moral culture. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's not what I see <laughs> when I look out the the window and when when I turn on the news. How, in what way are we moral? And all she meant was that uh, people that that the, the women in her town. Where she had been serving as a missionary could not believe it when she told them that her husband didn't beat her, mm. and in a, and so in that <clears throat> sense we don't have um, we don't have some of those mo- more blatantly violent and uh, sins um, in front of us every day. At least some of us don't. I'm, I'm not uh, pretending that we don't. We are not. I'm not pretending that we aren't a violent culture, um, but I am simply trying to say what I simply wanted to uh, point to, to, to just point out is that when by saying ethical, I, I wanted to acknowledge what you just acknowledged, which is that there are people who are apparently um, keeping some of the commandments, apparently so, but are not doing it for the love of God. And are not, and therefore are not fulfilling, um, fulfilling the dominion mandate, um, or or any of God's law as He um, would will that they would. Certainly, and so I certainly just wanted to. I just wanted to point out that we could have um, sin management and ethical uh, and ethics training, and still not make Christians. Oh yeah, certainly and definitely yeah, and and I think. But I think one of the interesting things is, as you mentioned, you look at our culture, and it, it certainly has um, taken a turn for the worse, if you will, and, and there will always be that, that, that remainder of sin until Christ comes back. But I think one of the things is that when you have Christians who are taking dominion, applying God's law correctly, you, do have, you will have a general um, decrease in, in sin in society, because one of the... the one of the, I don't know if you want to say one of the impacts of the law or one of the residual effects is that it does curb sin. Um, you know, it does prevent right. some non-believers even from committing sin, which is a good thing for me. It's a good thing right. for my neighbor. You know, exactly. I, you know, even if my neighbor's an unbeliever, I would rather, you know, not have their goods stolen from them because they are created in the image of God. And, and uh, part of my responsibility to love my neighbor is to make sure that, I'm, that they are being um, treated justly. And so in, right. when you start to apply this mandate, you start to get into, you know, uh, a deeper application on, on law and, and, and society. And I think um, some of the things that are still good about our society are because, um, to a degree, not perfectly, the law of God was, was, was applied. It was, it was men tried to apply it to society. And um, we, we were blessed in some of those ways because the dominion mandate was, in many ways, uh, attempted to be fulfilled. And I think one of my main concerns today is that the church is not trying to apply God's word, and, and if I, you know, if I don't want to use law, I mean, I just usually say God's law word. It's all together. I like that phrase, God's law word, because what God says, if God says it, it's law. 
It's from the, it's from the lawgiver of the universe. Right. So right. Um, that's a good point. I think that the church and and it's you know and this is not new. Of course, there's always been different movements, but the church in general has kind of preferred the idea of being taken out of the earth. They prefer to be taken out of the earth than to take dominion of it. And um, right. and uh, Rush Dooney Rush Dooney said that you know what that the church instead of wanting victory and dominion in the face of tribulation wants rather to be raptured out of it. Will not right. God give rather tribulation than rapture to such a people? And that's kind of a frightening quote. And of course, you know, that's uh, that's Rush Dooney, who certainly some people disagree with. But he's saying, if if the church is kind of essentially saying, you know what? Here's the dominion mandate. We don't want to take responsibility for the earth. We want to be out of here. Uh, I don't think that's really inviting blessing from God. And so that's one of my main concerns of the application of this well, topic. I mean, that also brings right. a, that also brings a level of hopelessness. I mean, the, right. the like the. One of the one of the really frustrating things about that perspective, and I know this is getting to some eschatological things here, and I and I knew that this would end up here. Um, I, I don't I I don't when when we talk dominion, when we talk about ruling over the earth, I mean, Genesis one is pregnant with eschatological language. Right, you mentioned that, and that's yeah. one of the things I wanted to bring up. And so, like, what all of this points to something happening in the future. And when you're so concerned with getting out of here and not focusing on being here, you're basically, you're giving up, which is not the attitude of Christ. It never was. And if we're going to, if if we're going to um, put on the, uh, the, our new selves, and if we're going to be this new creation that Christ has, has made, then we are going to live as he did here. He wasn't, he, he was not, about leaving he was about multiplying disciples and he was that that, that's what he came here to do um and so uh, that 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 whole idea of wanting to get raptured out it it just brings so little hope i i I don't understand it well right well it's kind of (laughs) like i mean how compassionate can we be if we're standing up in a in a sinking boat and saying hey Stop bothering me. I'm not helping you patch this <laughs> hole. I've got a bigger boat coming for me. So just, you guys stop whining. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. It's, we, we've got, we, let me put it this way. God does not need our good works. Does he ask them of us? Does he command them to be, to be exhibited by us so that our faith is expressed? Absolutely. But God does not need our good works. In one sense, it is not him who needs our good works, but our neighbor, not just the church. That that includes unbelievers. And um, when, you know, with this debate that's been going on with uh, so, uh, over social justice and the gospel, <laughs> as, as difficult as, as a debate it can be for, for people, I, I think it's necessary to, to really talk clearly and carefully about these issues because it's exact it, it's over the question of how how are we going to be um look how are we going to be looking at our true home while also taking good care of this home <laughs> which by the way will one day be one and the same you know mm-hmm. what i mean that, to, to get into the eschatology <laughs> excuse me eschatology <laughs> right. got a little date bomb back in my throat yeah um, I like what John Piper said in speaking on environmentalism. He said, "You know, I, I don't, um, I don't care about the dirty rivers and and polluted air because, specifically, because of, I care for creation or because I love this earth. I care for this, for this creation." 
because I love God and I love people. In other words, mm. if I'm going to love my great grandkids and my great great grandkids, then why create? Uh, why leave this world worse off than when I found it? Uh, that's not to say. I mean, obviously, you could take that to some um, incredible ec- excess, which uh, we can certainly see, um, you know, on the political left. But uh, there is a sense in which we need to make sure that that it is loving for those who follow us mm-hmm. to um, take care of of the air they're going to have to breathe and the water that they're going to have to drink, mm-hmm. and. Um, so if, if we are going to do work in that way, um, then it should be for expressly for that purpose of loving, um, loving the people for whom God made this world. Mm-hmm. And, and just to, I mean, just a reminder, we, uh, not not for you, but for our listeners, we are talking we are talking about the application of um, ruling over this world as image bearers and taking dominion, and that's what Ryan was talking about. Is talking about making sure we are we are caring for this world, not because. Not not just because of things that we want to do, but rather we care for this world because we love God and we love people. Not for the world's sake, but right. for the sake of the people who live on it. Right, and and Chris, you had something you wanted to. Well, add. I just wanted to, uh, you know, mention one more thing here. We talk about the eschatological implications, and one of the things I really appreciated from your podcast, Andy. Which, by the way, if you don't listen to, download it. Thank you. Um, Leave a five star review. Yes, and uh, so. <laughs> One of the things Andy has done at least at least once, maybe a couple of times when he's going through Genesis is um, talk about the eschatological implications. And I think there's a huge one here when we talk about the dominion mandate. And I already alluded to it, but God gives a dominion mandate to Adam and Adam, Adam fails. Adam sins and we all would have we would have done likewise. And so Adam, Adam lost his his, you know, essentially his control over the earth. He, he violated God's law. He, he failed at the dominion mandate. And uh, when you look at Scripture, then you see the world just just falling into just unrighteousness. And I'm going to use that word um, purposefully because when we're talking about the dominion mandate, it has to be carried out according to God's righteous law. The world falls into unrighteousness. The world falls into sin and despair. And it is very true that I would say that Satan was ruling over the earth. Adam essentially gave his dominion to Satan. He said, okay, God has given me dominion. I would rather obey you, Satan, obey my own flesh than God. And in a sense, Satan took that dominion from Adam. And um, while man was still responsible to to take dominion, Satan took great control of the earth, and paganism covered the globe, and and unrighteousness prevailed. But now when when Christ comes... Clarify paganism. Well, paganism is just, um, in a simple term, it's it's non-Christian theology. So... It's, it's anything that is not worship of the one true God. Right. And so when you, when you look at the history of, of humanity, uh, up until the time Christ comes, um, there's only a tiny group of people, the Israelites, that, that are worshiping the true God. And even, even they are, are, are failing at that. And so you have this, this unrighteousness covering the earth, and then Christ comes, and Christ comes, and he fulfills all, all, all of the dominion mandate, all of the law of God. He fulfills it perfectly. He obeys perfectly, and he goes to the cross, and he dies for sinners, and he, he's, he's resurrected on the third day. And I contend that what, what happened there at the cross and the resurrection is that Jesus, he, he wrested control of the earth from Satan. He took it back. And, you know, you, you see in the, in the temptation in the desert that Satan offers him this control without the cross. 
And Jesus tells him no. But Jesus then defeats, Satan defeats death at the cross, and, and control is given back to him, and the dominion mandate is then given to him. And what does he do? And this kind of touches on what Ryan was saying, that God doesn't need our good works, but yet we're, we, we are called to do them. Jesus could have, when he took control back from, from Satan, ended it right then and there, and, and saved his elect, and, and, and ended history, and went into eternity, but he didn't. He chose to give that dominion mandate, that restored dominion mandate, to the church, in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. And so now he gives it back to the people and says, you failed miserably to take dominion of the earth. You failed miserably to represent God before the nations, before the world. But now you are called to do it. But now here's the key. Here's the, here's the difference. I am with you always to the end of the age. Now my spirit is with you and I leave my spirit with you and you are to go and you are to make disciples of all nations. So that's where I think this is very eschatological. And of course, we could spend hours talking about this. Maybe we'll have to do another podcast. <laughs> Maybe we um, do. But, um, but, but Jesus now, he, he is ruling and reigning. And, and so I think the dominion mandate, you know, what, I think it applies even more now in one sense than it did to Adam. Or in a sense, we could say we have more power at our disposal because we have the, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, uh, sorry, so, uh, the way you're saying we have more power now, we have that, but we have the tools that we have been given. For example, this podcast, the internet. Like, all of these things are things that are great ways to take dominion and proclaim the gospel. I mean, well, there, there, there's some more stuff I want to add to that, but that's going to be the end. And, and we are coming up to a close here, so real quick, just some closing thoughts to kind of summarize what we've talked about. Um, uh, so, uh, Ryan, would you mind just quick summarizing kind of what you've taken from this? And, yeah, basically, yeah. Sure, sure I can do that. Um, just real quick, some... Um some things that I, I think would kind of uh, help give some form here is, is I really like how Gruber lays out that there's kind of three views on the, what the image of God means. Um, and number one being the substantive view, which means that it's some quality of God, like or the quality of man, such as reason or spirituality, that uh, those number two is the relational views talking more about our interpersonal relationships and our ability to relate in that way, um, kind of emphasizing the male and female um, versus that follow shortly after that. And three, the functional view, which holds that the image of God has to do with functions that we carry out. And so I, I completely, I think all three of those in, uh, to some extent um, can rightfully be gleaned from that text and um, how that exactly how those three interact um, are, are, is definitely up for debate but I do believe we have the we have the image of God um, God declared that uh, when he created us that it's definitely distorted by sin but not lost entirely and yet in the redemption earned by Christ's work we it's being restored in us. First uh, Corinthians 15 says, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven, um, going to that second Adam that uh, Chris brought up. And it, it, Colossians speaks of Christ being the image of the invisible God, and that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And um, I like First John 3, which also says, when he appears, we shall be like him. Mm going back to that likeness and 
yeah, thank you guys for the conversation. And, and yeah, I'm looking forward to Genesis 3. When you talk <laughs> about the fall, I'd like to hear what you have to say when uh, Satan says to Eve, um, you know, hey, eat this fruit and you shall be like God. I want to hear what uh, what that brings to the discussion. Mm, that would be interesting. Um, and Chris, kind of summarize kind of your thoughts. Sure, yeah. I really enjoyed the conversation as well. There's There's so much here, and I think, uh, there, there's there's an amazing thing we look at, um, you know Jesus. It says he was, he, you know, he he put on flesh. He was made like his brothers. So we were creating the image of God in the spiritual sense, but then Jesus, the Son of God, is is manifested in our likeness in the physical sense. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just an amazing picture there. But I think That's to, to to make to, to kind of end on a very uh, practical note, which is um, something I, I I think is very important. You know. Um, my wife is a stay-at-home mom raising four kids, and, and, you know, Andy alluded to this. But I think if you want to just kind of take something away from this, and I've, I've, I've tried to touch on this, that, that God has, has given us an incredible responsibility, whether we're parents or not, to represent Him to others. Mm-hmm. Whatever we are doing in life, we, we are meant to live out our lives in community. We are not meant to be solitary solitary creatures and, and not interact with, with other human beings. And so... One of the the great practical applications of the Dominion Mandate is to represent God to others. And so when I think of my wife or other mothers, God has given you an incredible responsibility to take Dominion in your home, to represent God to your children, Mm. and to, in in a way that only humans can, to teach them um, ethical behavior. And of course, as I mentioned, when I say that, I'm referring to God's law. It has to be done from the heart, or it's not... Um, it's not law keeping. It's it's uh, breaking the law because we are the first command is to have no other gods um, before the one true God. So, but I think I think we understand that. But but you know mothers especially, and I just always like to highlight this because I do believe you know mothers have the greatest um, role on earth, the greatest responsibility on earth, and um, to to take dominion in the home is a wonderful responsibility, and and us husbands need to um, encourage our wives to do that, and so. Women have a, a mothers have a great um, opportunity to, to represent God to their children, teach them His law, teach them His word, um, teach them all the applications of, of God's law word to their life, how it will apply when they're older, how it applies now, how it applies to to doing their homework, how it applies to doing their chores, how it applies to interacting with other kids, how it applies to economic, all these things, history, and I think, um, and whether your mother or not, like I said, whether your parent or not, whatever you whatever you wherever you're at in life. You are called to represent God mm-hmm. to other people. You are called to take dominion in that way. Because if you represent God to others and you seek to walk by God's law, and yes, when you fail, if you're a Christian, you have forgiveness in Christ. But Jesus appeared that we that he would take away sin. And John wrote that we would not sin. And of course, the only way we'll know what sin is by um, looking to God's law. So take dominion. Take dominion of whatever God has given you and do it according to God's law word, and I guarantee you, you will be blessed. And, um, you know, like we've said, your neighbor will be blessed too, and I think that's that's something that we certainly can't overlook. So mm-hmm. thanks for having me on, Andy. I really enjoy it. Absolutely. So um, uh, so the uh, kind of – so the what I kind of want to end on then is um, uh, the passage, I think it's in Colossians, where it tells us that Christ was the exact imprint. We, we talked about this earlier, but um, basically the idea here is that Jesus came – he showed us how to perfectly do everything that the law requires, including taking dominion. Um, and right before, you know, right, right before he left, he gave us a commission. And Chris said this earlier, and I think that this is, along with 
taking the dominion into our homes and along with uh, taking dominion in our workplace, um, there is one more thing that Christ has given us to make sure that we are including, and that is um, to we're forgetting we need to be fruitful and multiply. And yes, that of course um, applies to children and families, um, but that also, and I believe in the context with the rest of Scripture, applies to our responsibility to proclaim the gospel and multiply disciples. Um, and that's, and I, I think that's where it lands. And I, I, I do, I, I fully believe that the Great Commission is reaching back um, to that same thing. When you're taking dominion as a Christian, you're proclaiming the gospel. And as you said, you are reflecting God in every area of life. So uh, I just want to end on that. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Um, if, uh, well, I'm just going to end it there because I'm going to add my tagline later. Uh, I do uh, want to point you guys to uh, the Reformed Hope blog that Chris also writes and manages and edits. He also has a Facebook page as well. Uh, what's the link for that? Oh, it's just reformedhope.com. And uh, you should check out Ryan's old podcast and tell him to do it again because oh, no. it was hilarious. Um, no. uh, that's a holiday.com, right? <laughs> I don't know if that's even still, still it's, up and running. Uh, no, but the podcast is still there. I saw it the other day. Oh, great. I'm going to have to uh, it's not, it's, it's not, scrub that from the <laughs> it's, it's not a theological <laughs> one, but it is incredibly entertaining. Uh, let me, on that note, let me just say this. Here's one more application. I really think if there's anyone out there who is a perfumist, if you come up with a cologne, Imago Day is a great name. For <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. All right, that's cool. That's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, sure. Yeah, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one, Ryan. All right, Take care. Reviving the Soul is available on all listening platforms, including Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and many others. Be sure to like and share this episode. If you have any questions, please direct them to my Facebook page at Saul19Revive. And don't forget to leave me a review and rating on iTunes, good or bad. And until next time, apply all of Scripture to all of life.